you're actually teaching the C-suite how to go out there and engage in an authentic, meaningful way by basically ungating their brains and giving it away for free in all these communities to build that trust. And trust is what people care about, obviously, when they're making purchasing decisions, partnership decisions, and all of that. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Marketing Revisited. My name is Liam Maroney, I am your host, and on this podcast, I talk to the smartest marketers, one topic at a time, to find out what's new, what's changed, and what we need to leave behind to be better marketers. And on this episode, we revisit PR. I spoke with Parry Hedrick, who is the founder of Crackle PR, which is a PR agency that specializes in communications, social media, branding, and creative. He's also one of the most prominent voices on LinkedIn when it comes to talking about the latest and greatest in PR. It was a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Harry, welcome to the podcast. I am absolutely delighted to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And it's uh, it's great to finally connect uh, with you and, and meet you face to face, so to speak, and then participate in uh, in this podcast. Likewise, I'm a huge fan of your content. I find myself uh, half tempted to write this is the way at the end of every email that I send. So you've, you've lodged that in my brain. So you've you've got a you've got a mantra and I love it. <laughs> it's catchy. You know, I was just giving a, a speech yesterday at the Full Funnel Summit. Um, and I love how some of the audience attendees would, would comment with, this is the way <laughs> like there's my people outstanding. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump right in. So the purpose of today is I want to revisit PR and there's yeah. no better person who is doing that actively every single day in the most honest fashion on LinkedIn and where I'd love to start this conversation really is on, you talk a lot about how the old rules of PR just are not relevant anymore. The old playbook. Yeah. Can you give me a foundation in just what are these old rules of PR? And then more importantly, why are they not relevant? It's a really good question. I guess to answer that, I back up to the earliest um, part of my career, which was in around 2001, I was recruited from a Boston PR agency to go out and start uh, one in San Francisco at a company called Shipped Communications, which is what became one of the largest privately held tech PR firms and they were acquired and, and all of that. So, so it worked well. I was their VP of marketing for a number of years and, and that worked out fine. But I was a PR guy when I first joined. And when I went to San Francisco, our first client was called Upshot and it was the first hosted Salesforce automation company. So that, that might ring a bell and, and I'll get back to that in a minute. And they paid us $40,000 per month, 40,000 to basically do media relations. Okay. So what that meant was they'd crank out maybe four press releases per month. You know, one might be about a new customer. One might be about a new hire. One might be about somebody that switched from a competing um, solution to theirs. You know, pretty small ball stuff. And, and there was a percentage of publications that actually care. So what PR people did, and I'm guilty of it too, is we had a list of, you know, 200 people that might care about this. And we'd have the same pitch and we'd just change the name and just send it out to hundreds of people, knowing that some percentage of those people was going to take the date, write about it, and then you'd be able to count up all the impressions and press release pickups and other mumbo jumbo metrics and report that back in a board ready format to your, to your client. And that's how you justified the spend. So there really wasn't more to it than that. I mean, yeah, there was some strategy around, you know, what is the message that's going to resonate? Like, how can we write a compelling pitch about that? You know, there was some strategy involved, but really it was a volume game. And I think the reason why I'm telling you that story is that today there are so many B2B companies and so many B2B PR agencies 
that are still playing the same game that was going on in 2001. And, and that's against the backdrop of all of these disparate channels we now have where your audiences live, right? So you and I met on LinkedIn and we both enjoy some considerable heat and light on that platform. That's only one possible way for us to kind of disseminate thought leadership. Another one is a podcast like we're doing right now. Another one is via, you know, newsletters like Substack, as an example, or in Slack channels or in Discord or on Twitter. And, and my point is that your audience doesn't just live to pick up the Wall Street Journal. And, and that's not how they consume their news. They consume it everywhere and they get their knowledge by word of mouth from people they trust. Right. And so I think that B2B companies really significantly fall down when they put all their hopes and dreams on pitching to the same traditional outlets. Uh, and then maybe if they're good and hopefully they are, they're producing their own content and publishing some bylines, you know, and that kind of thing. I think that's kind of where the playbook ends. And I think that's really just where mine begins. You know, I, I think, <laughs> I think you got to do that stuff too. You know, Dave Gearhart likes to talk about how the, like PR, you don't need PR. All you need to do is like build your own brand and blah, blah, blah. And, and he's, I think he's half right. I think you still need to do some of the traditional componentry. But I think he's absolutely right when he says that companies need to become their own media companies by producing their own content. And what I say is manufacturing your own news. So old playbook, just to finish, was Upshot, that Salesforce automation company. Their, their competitor that joined the market about six months later was Mark Benioff of Salesforce.com. <laughs> <laughs> it, and we all know what happened there. So Upshot was acquired by Siebel. Benioff became this like mega, you know, um, mega mogul. But the point, the point I'm really making is that the biggest thing that B2B companies fall down on today is they don't have a strategic narrative that anybody gives a shit about. It's all about my company is great. We're going to change the world. And they have that exactly wrong. They don't have that rallying cry that their external audiences and their internal audiences run toward. And that's what Salesforce had in the early days. And that's what Almost every company like the gongs and the drifts and the gravies have figured out themselves is they've got to have that big message that everybody internally and externally runs. Oh, there's so much I want to dig apart in this. Okay. There's a couple of things that are really interesting to me. So I think one thing that, that really strikes me, and, and you talk about this a lot, and you mentioned it here, like Slack and LinkedIn and a lot of these kind of like community-driven things. I've always found PR has always been a weird function in B2B, certainly in tech and all the companies I've worked for, because it always felt external. It always felt like there was the internal teams, we were running ads on paid platforms and the PR agency was usually external. Rarely did we ever have someone who was internal. And yeah. it was often because you felt it was the, well, we need to get pickup. Like it's about getting on that place. It's getting a byline in here. And to your point, it felt like it was, we're paying for access to these publications. It was the, it was the broker to the publications. Right. And I guess like when you talk about things like community and you talk about that blurred line of what Dave Gerhardt says, so it feels like the definition of PR isn't even clearly understood because I would never have thought of a community or Slack or LinkedIn as a function or even a responsibility of PR. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. But I think you're one of the few people who was kind of waking up to the fact that that is way, the way the world has moved. So. Some people look at what we're talking about now and think, well, is it even really PR? Because couldn't you just do like these five other disciplines? And the answer is yes. PR's definition has only expanded to incorporate all of these other things, right? So if you have a company that can help you come up with a strategic narrative, and then you have that same company have the ability to sort of um, gain friendship and, and guide the uh, leaders of your C-suite about how to like make communities where they are, like that kind of becomes valuable together. 
So in addition to doing the PR 101 stuff, the press releases, all that stuff, you're actually teaching the C-suite how to go out there and engage in an authentic, meaningful way by basically ungating their brains and giving it away for free in all these communities to build that trust. And trust mm. is what people care about, obviously, when they're making purchasing decisions, partnership decisions, and all of that. So I would say the, the old school was like very one directional. PR team spits out some stuff. And now it's kind of bi-directional where the PR agency works in concert with the C-suite. And they're always trying to figure out the best way to go add value to their audiences across all these disparate channels. That, that makes sense? sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, I'd love to get tactical on that because I think one of the reasons it, it's always felt separate was because a lot of the content portion of the team seemed to almost never even interact with the PR agency. Like content marketing has been under my team a lot in different companies, yeah. but oddly enough, they were never part of the PR agencies or like the meetings. It yeah. was almost like, and I mean, this is a generalization, but it almost felt like the, the CEO was very interested in PR. He wanted to be on those calls. She wanted to be on those calls. The yeah. CMO would want to be in it, but the rest of the team didn't ever really participate. They were that agency we didn't do anything with. Yeah. How, how have you found as an agency owner that PR agencies should work with internal marketing teams? Where do you bring content in or social in? Like, how do you interact with them? Yeah. So at the, the most basic level, I say this line a lot, which is that it, to have the, the most successful PR relationship is to view the PR agency as a partner and not a vendor, right? Yeah. So vendors go execute and just kind of do what you say. Partners actually can push back and say, you know, we've thought about that based on our experience. X, Y, and Z is, is true. So the other part of a partnership is that internally and externally, there are team members that are working hand in glove to reach the same goals. And I think the traditional model was just, again, a PR team, go execute this stuff. And content was kind of a separate beast. Whereas now you have people like me who just brought on a senior content um, manager to make sure that our content speaks to the internal team's view of content and somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And so I, I, think, I think what we're seeing is less of a um, do this relationship and more of let's do this. And I think that is going to change the way the world's structured. And it sounds like you're taking a position that I haven't heard many PR agencies talk about where you're bringing content knowledge and expertise to the table. Like you're actually hiring for roles specifically. Like it mm -hmm. sounds like there's almost more responsibility on the PR side to be joining those and interacting with those rather than waiting to be on the receiving end of give me well, something worth doing. Some of that is, is defensive. I want to take credit and say like, offensively, we're doing this because we want to bring this to our, to our mm -hmm. clients. And that's true. But honestly, it's a defensive move. And I'll tell you why. So the media landscape has withered on the vine um, dramatically in the past 10 years. For example, there's seven reporters. I mean, I'm sorry, there's seven PR people to every one reporter out there. Whereas when, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, I'm okay. A reporter, just imagine the onslaught, like RIP my inbox, right? Um, so reporters are, are, are leaving and taking marketing jobs, going internally because the revenue, revenue isn't there to support it. The ad dollars are drying up. And so it's getting increasingly difficult to get meaningful coverage. And it's way more difficult to have relationships with reporters than it used to be because they're moving from place to place, chasing revenue as their industry is just rocked. Hmm. So you have to put that perspective when you think about all these publications that are hungry for content. They're hungry for original, good, valuable content that will get them clicks if it's online or get them readership if it's not. And so content is the secret to that, right? So in addition to getting the earned media where you have reporters that are still writing about you, you need to be able to produce that content to get those placements. And if you do that well, they'll keep coming back to you asking for more content, asking for more content. So it really is this virtuous cycle. 
Mm. So against that backdrop, I, I figured a while ago that it was time to bring on some content people so that we can augment what you're doing internally or, or even take that function over entirely if we have to. But ideally, there's some combination of people internal and external that are working toward that same goal. The tendency for internal folks is that they like to talk grandiloquently about the company and their solutions. The external uh, PR firm can say, guys, can we amp that down a little bit? What we're trying to do here is elevate the thinking around the industry. So I think mm. those that yin and yang, internal and external, is when it works the best. And do you find that you're influencing the content roadmap or, or the sort of editorial calendar, or are you still really just looking for opportunity within the existing calendar? No, I think we're definitely influencing. And I think we're often asked to help brainstorm for the creative ideas that are the underpinnings for like a systemic program. And not to say that we're always right. I think usually it's a collaborative effort, but I think we look at the the audiences in a different way than the marketer or the internal person who is kind of tasked with, you know, tell our brand story. I, th I think we have a better sense for what's palatable on the editorial landscape and what reporters can snip out as bullshit. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's kind of an important check, check and balance. So I have a couple of questions about the, the media publications, because it's interesting, you know, I think there's a cliche and I've, I've heard it, I've said it, you know, where you, PR agencies are like, oh, like everyone's looking for the, the Washington Post feature or they're looking for the tech crunch or they're everything like that. Yeah. And, and then you hear, you know, Dave Gerhardt saying like, be the media empire yourself. You've got Chris Walker saying all the decisions are happening in private peer-to-peer -peer communities. Yeah. How influential is big publication in B2B, if at all? So I think they are influential. Uh, again, I think there is a tendency to want to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater in favor of what's new. And I am mm -hmm. the biggest champion for what is new. I mean, I am, I am looking forward. I am not looking behind, but having said that there is real opportunity in the rearview mirror with the wall street journals and the tech crunches and all of these things, they are massively influential. One good hit in tech crunch gets picked up a million different places. And those are VCs that are reading that those are partners that are reading that like that has real cachet. That is real value. Having said that. I think when you're looking at these communities, um, like LinkedIn or Slack channels or Dave Earhart's group or whatever it is, that's where the real trust is built at a one-to-one -one level. And that's what tends to influence a lot of these purchasing decisions, but it's not captured properly by B2B companies, right? So mm -hmm. that's the attribution game. And Chris Walker talks about this. This is not a unique thought for me, although I've always, I've always said it in different terms, which is that. PR has a hard time measuring itself and it always has because it's essentially, we're talking about dark funnel, yeah. you know, PR gets you in a million places and that guy can't remember which article that he, uh, read or she read or which trade show she was at or which, you know, of the many things that PR companies handle, but they saw it somewhere and ultimately they come back to you and you have a pull down menu that says, did you see us at a webinar at a trade show or did you read our white paper? Well, the answer is none of the above. That's why you should have an open field that lets the person put in what they actually saw that brought them to your site. Maybe it was a podcast. Maybe it was mm -hmm. a comment in Liam's uh, LinkedIn feed. Like who the hell knows, but don't try to give them three answers when the answer could possibly be 40 different things. So I don't know. That, I think that's kind of the way I look at the, the new landscape and the new world is that you got to do the, the traditional stuff because that has real value. But day to day in the trenches, in aggregate, all these small pockets of people who are influenced by each other are what ultimately builds that halo effect on your brand. Yeah. And I like that you say not to throw out the baby. And I think that's a good point because I do think in B2B, 
like I'm a demandian person. We, we are hammers and we are looking at everything like it's a nail and that is our fault. So you almost, and very often I see brand get sidetracked. It's now we like, and this is Dave, you know, obviously like Chris Walker talks about this all the time. This is the whole, like, don't look at the immediate metrics on your dashboard and ignore everything that's long-term value. Is it fair to say PR is, because you mentioned like the, the tech dirt, and you mentioned these reaching VCs and investors and people like that. Is it fair to say that is like, who is the audience that you think it is best utilized to reach? Is it buyers at all? Should we ever think of it in that way? Or is it about broad awareness? Is it about investor? Is it about overall company brand and positioning? Yeah, I think, I think every company is a snowflake in the regard that they have different aims. Almost everybody has one similar aim, which is that they want to move product or services, right? So that one, you can almost unilaterally say that's one of the aims. Um, but I think when I think of PR, I'm not necessarily thinking about in the trenches, tactical, small ball features, functionality, all of that stuff. I'm thinking about that halo effect on a brand that is built not by talking to people as if you're in flowing robes atop Mount Olympus, <laughs> but talking to grandma, right? Like I said on your thing, yep. in a way that she understands it, she slaps her knee and she's like, yes. And I think that... That's the difference between PR of yesterday and PR of today is that there's got to be um, something that people genuinely care about and believe it. And I think the way you get that is not just with the traditional media, although you get some of that for sure, but I think it's through conversations like we're having right now. There's like a, a baked in trust and loyalty that ultimately transcends product. It transcends, you know, what you're selling today, but it's really more what the ethos of the company is. And do I want to associate myself with that? with that brand, whether it's for the goodness of the brand or whether it's how they view, you know, the environment or whatever your things are, that's kind of the way I I view PR today. So here's where I get caught up and I'd love you to help me kind of straighten this out in my head. Cause you talk about communicating in a way that grandma's going to hear this and go like, I totally get this. And then you think about the reality of what a lot of companies, you mentioned this at the start, it's, Hey, we hired a new C-suite. Look at our, here's our press release. We released a product feature that isn't really a product feature. We just changed the color of the button on it. Like that feels like a lot of what would they use is just issue a press release to say you put out a press release on it. How, like, where's the newsworthiness come in, 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 you know, let's, let's say like, I'll give you the classic story. My company's not exciting. We don't do things that are newsworthy. We're a very industrial type product. PR may not be a fit for us because no one cares about that apart from direct buyers. Yeah. What's, what's the backlash to that statement? Well, I think there are some companies that are just flat out boring, but, but they typically have trade pubs that would care about what they're doing because that's their beat. They cover that beat and buyers of those products and services read those trade pubs to make decisions about what they're going to buy. In addition to all the other ways we already talked about the organic sort of communities. So there's value in that for sure. Uh, but I think even the boring, boringest, most boring companies can find ways to tap into the cultural zeitgeist or the zeitgeist in their particular industry. So like the, the most obvious one is like the metaverse, you know, a month or two ago, sure. everybody was like pitching the metaverse. And if you put metaverse in your subject line, like you are being contemporary and you're going to get the reporters to care. But the truth is the metaverse has been written about a shitload in the past couple of months. It's kind of waning now, but there was a hot moment there where almost anybody that had a play in that space got some coverage out of it because that was the topic du jour. Now, I think there's a healthy balance that most um, B2B companies can tap into between actual news, like, hey, we just partnered with this mega company and now we deliver like 
crazy value, or we just got a huge ass round of funding and that's going to help us do X, Y, and Z. Like there are news driven things and there are companies like Microsoft and, and Apple and Dell and all these guys that if they do a major product rev, like people care about that. They really, right. really do. Yeah. But I think it's a combination of having actual news that you can pitch to your trades and then trying to go higher than that by tapping into the zeitgeist of whatever is going on at that moment in your industry that day. And that's where the real enterprising PR uh, specialists come in because they are combing through the universe of news that's going on right now. And, and the best of us don't just have knowledge. We have wisdom about how to connect the dots between these disparate things. And I think that's where you fall into trouble if you have a PR team that's filled with a bunch of junior folks who just frankly haven't had the life experience to be able to kind of connect those dots. I like that. And I like how you talk about those honest conversations with CEOs about, no, we're not going to do that because that's just not the correct way of doing it. Yeah. And I feel like this is the art that you don't often hear about. And I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on, like, if I'm a CMO and we're bringing on PR, how much of it is me trying to come up with things that are newsworthy versus you saying, here's what's topical. What have you got that you can attach to this or that is somewhat related to this? Or is it some blend of the two? Like how much is creation of versus discovering things that are hidden gems that people may care about in this way? Yeah, I think it's a combination. And again, I think no two companies are alike. I think there are a lot of companies, B2B in particular, that are very surprised to know what they can do with their data. And a lot of B2B companies are sitting on amazing data that they don't properly utilize. Men, you ask them, they say, well, we tried to do a survey once or we tried to do X, Y, and Z, and it just didn't work. And that's fine, except usually there are great ways to deploy that data. I don't care if it's infographics. I don't care if it's surveys. I don't care if it's a state of the industry report or ongoing ticker on your website that shows, you know, the disparity between what you do. And it, you know, there's a million ways to cut that and slice that. So I think it's a combination of, of the two. I think usually the CMO, CEO, the C-suite have some ideas about kind of what they want to bring to the world and what they think are newsworthy. And then I think the reality on the ground is sometimes a little different based on our experience as being on the side, trying to go out there and disseminate that news. And like most things, somewhere in the middle lies the truth. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think you don't hire a PR firm like mine unless you actually want the truth. And, and some, some, some B2B companies don't want the truth. They want to just be told, ah, brilliant. And we'll go do that. And that's just, you know, don't call me if that's how you roll, because that's, doing nobody any good. And you're going to fire me in a, a year because we didn't get the results that you were looking for. And by the way, your CMO is going to be fired within two years because that's the going rate now. Anyway, they seem to last less than two years in part because their PR is falling down. Um, and that's based on a whole bunch of yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Bullshit. So I think partnerships are what make these things endure. And I think partnerships are built on trust and honesty and looking somebody squarely in the eye and say, I'm telling you as a, somebody who's put in more than my 10,000 hours, like, I'm telling you, this is what I think makes sense. And I think we should discuss that. So kind of on the note of this partnership, choosing a partner, I'd love to ask about that because, yep. you know, I've, I've heard different versions of how we came to choose the PR agency we have. I've heard, yep. well, they're specialists in tech industry and they know all the writers. It usually comes back to, they know all of the journalists and they've got the address yes. book, which I'm sure you've got thoughts and feelings on. Yeah. And then you've got ones who are, you know, like it's usually, it usually comes back to industry specific or they are the ones that'll get you in the wall street journal. And they seem to never be the same. Like, what do you look for 
because I've not heard anyone say the stuff that you're saying that, you know, it's, it's how do you do that nuance? How do you understand and connect things together? So what are the criteria you would recommend someone to start looking through when they pick an agency? So I first have to take the reporter who, what, what report do you know thing? Cause I, I just got to have to take that off the table. It's like, it's like the bait of my existence. What reporters do you know? First of all, the reporter I knew already left that publication because the ad, the ad dollars have dried up. So forget that. Secondly, a reporter worth his or her salt is not going to write about me. Uh, I don't care if they're my mother, my cousin, my sister, my brother. If the story is shit, it's shit. So like, take that off the table. It's got to be a good story or it's not getting written about. Woo, that felt good. <laughs> um, and then, sorry, the second part of your question was... What should you look for? Like, what should you oh. actually be a selection criteria? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So I'll tell you what's working in my situation right now. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how the deals get consummated that I'm doing. I typically get contacted by the CMO or CEO of an organization, and it's 100% inbound. I do zero outbound. I don't reach out to anybody. I don't smile and dial. I do none of that. Um, and I'm fortunate. I, I really am very fortunate, uh, especially being, you know, 18 months old. Um, but I typically get uh, a, a call or a text um, or an email saying, hey, been seeing your content everywhere. I'm in like lockstep with the way you view the world. I see what you're talking about when you say X, Y, and Z. Let's set up a time to talk. And by the time we have a conversation, it's kind of already 70% of the way done because they already know the ethos of the company, how I think they're, they, they know that I'm looking to be a partner and not a vendor. Like they've already vetted me basically by mm -hmm. consuming the content that I've been dripping out every day for the past, you know, two years or a year and a half. And so how do they select the agency? Well, for me, they basically look at the contents of the brain that I've ungated for them and. And, and those contents either make sense to them or they don't. Like, I guarantee you, there are plenty of B2B CMOs that look at what I think at what I say and they can, they think, wow, he's crass. Like, wow, he's over the top. You know, he's all these things and I would not be a good fit for them. And that's fine. But that my deals close because people already know who I am, how I think, what I believe in, know that I don't bullshit them. And the deals close without even doing a presentation in most cases. Whereas in the old days and in, in PR agencies that I know in my universe now, it's a multi-step process and it starts with the most insidious bullshit called an RFP, which I know you, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. you're triggering RFP, me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bananas. It's like, okay, so, so let's query people uh, across the organization to see which PR firms they've heard of, compile a list, and then send out this exhaustive RFP to 10 agencies, hoping that some portion of them responds. And then from there, we'll find out which ones might have the right experience and have the right budget. And then we'll get a few of them on the call and just like drill down and drill down and drill down. But there's no reason or rhyme for having any of these people in the mix other than somebody, you know, that Tony, the CMO knows, like knew this PR firm once. It makes no sense. And so I don't want people coming to me with RFPs. I wrote a post yesterday saying I'm done with them. I'm, I'm just done with them. You know, people contact me because they know they need me because they've been reading what I talk about. And that's the way deals should be done today. And that's how firms, frankly, should be chosen. So even if it's not somebody posting on LinkedIn, it should be a CMO or VP of marketing, whoever it is calling an agency, having candid conversations just like this. And that should usually be a pretty good indicator along with the content on the website. Like if they're a good fit and maybe you whittle it down that way and, and do a little uh, dog and pony show with those three firms, but RFPs, I mean, my goodness, there are some companies because of procurement, they have to do it. And I get that. And it's a necessary evil, but if you don't have to do it and you still do, it's a little bit masochistic for everybody involved, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So when it comes to setting expectations then, because I feel like PR is one of those ones where it's sort of, it feels like sometimes it's up to the gods. <laughs> like you're putting it out there and it's, if it's good, it'll get picked up. Or at least that's how it's sometimes, when you're pitching for the, I want to go viral type PR pickup, yep. which is its own thing. Yep. But how would you set expectations if like someone comes on and they're like, what am I going to get from you in the next six months? What are you, what should I be prepared for? What's reasonable? That's great. And that's actually a really good way of asking the question. And I respond well to that because that seems like somebody who is measured, reasonable, like open to kind of discussing what we think is, is possible. And so that's kind of how I prefer to work. So the answer is, um, we'll take a look at what the company is doing, what the comp competitive landscape is doing, what has been done before from a PR perspective, what stories they may be sitting on or might be in their pipeline, what data they may be sitting on that they aren't aware is worthy from a PR standpoint. And then based on those things, we'll come up with some KPIs that we think are reasonable and we'll present those like based on what we've seen and what you've showed us, here's what I think makes sense. Um, now, obviously it's not all going to work and some of it's going to fall down. Some of it's going to be better than we thought. And we'll just adjust on the fly accordingly and do more of what's working and less of what isn't. So again, that comes back to that partnership thing. It's like, here's what we think we can do. Let's try to work toward that. And then in real time, we'll find out what isn't working. We'll fail fast on that. And we'll move on to the things that are and do more of that. And then again, that backdrop, hopefully you can give us some insight about what's working by sharing your analytics from your website, for example. And maybe you're even doing things like those free fields now so that we can see if somebody saw you from LinkedIn or at a, on a podcast or a Slack channel or on Discord or whatever it may be. So it's, it's got to be that sort of like, let's work on this together. Let's find out what, what KPIs, KPIs make the most sense and then work toward those goals, adjust on the fly and be, be as open and honest with each other about what's working. There are some companies I work with who wouldn't share like data that came in from their website saying it was from an article they read or whatever, because they didn't want the PR firm to ask for more money. You know? <laughs> like, oh, it came from PR, then you better give us more money. Like, that's just insane. You want to, you want to celebrate your successes as a team, no matter who got it. Right. So, so that, again, it comes down to partnership. You, you know, a good partner when you, when you see one and you know, a bad situation when you see one too. And you talked earlier about you know, CMOs getting turnover because a lot of their PR didn't stick and they didn't get the placements that they had come in promising. So when you think about that partnership, like how it's obviously long-term is best, but like, what would you give advice on when it comes to people saying like, well, how long should I see if this agency is working before we say like, it doesn't feel like a good fit. Cause it, it feels like, like there's a long-term aspect where you've got to work well together. There's iterative stuff, there's learnings, but how long before you would say, call it? Yeah. I, I think it, again, most engagements like this are snowflakes, but I think a general rule is if by six months, you're just not feeling the love and you're feeling like there's a disconnect in the communication more importantly. That I think that's probably around the time you're like, I, I can just see this trending badly, especially if you've already had conversations with leadership about like, here's the, 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 here's the, the problems we are starting to see. And like, how can we amend this or fix this and improve this? And if you're already having those conversations, you know, at month, month, month three and month four and month five and nothing's changing, like six months, you're kind of like, I think it's time to pull the cord, you know? And sometimes yeah. there's just not a good fit. And, and that's a fact. And especially yeah. in the past couple of years, because of the pandemic and the great resignation, there has been a shitload of turnover from uh, every uh, avenue in the industry and especially PR firms were hit badly. So I know there's a lot of my peers that have been suffering, you know, some serious turnover at the highest levels. 
meanwhile, I've just been building my own little thing quietly. <laughs> my people, hoping my people stick around. But, but yeah, so I think, I think six months is a pretty good indicator, you know? So I, we have some six month, uh, deals with some of our clients and I'm happy when they roll over and I prefer to have an annual contract with a 30 day mm -hmm. cut. So I know that we're always 30 day, days away from being fired or, or if they aren't giving us what we need, the access and action to their executives, then they're 30 days away from being fired too, which is equitable. I'd like to ask you about that. Yeah. What makes for a good client? How can I get the most out of my PR agency? Yeah. A good client uh, is empathetic and is somebody who celebrates everyone's successes and is a player coach, basically. And I think that goes for a good PR agency leadership team, too. It's like empathy on both sides. Everybody selling, celebrating each other's wins. Everybody lifting each other up instead of trying to take credit. You know, my, uh, my what some of the advice I've always given to my uh, PR teams is we never say, I got you a hit or I did this good thing. It's always weak. We have done this. We, 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 because I'll tell you what, the protective embrace of we feels awfully good when the shit hits the fan and it was you. <laughs> so, <Too true. laughs> so, so, so I think, I think when, when the relationships work best, it is, it is with CMOs who value the relationship and understand PR is a strategic business driver. It just is. And they celebrate those su su uh, successes with the firm. They give that tough feedback when they need to, like a good partner should. But it's just rolling with that empathy that we're all trying to do this together. There is no me versus you. It's us. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's true with a lot of agencies, actually. And I think one thing it's, I'd love to ask about is kind of the, the measurement or showing value. Like you talk about the like not talking in the like, I did this or I got this for you. Yeah. I've seen a lot with PR where it feels like there is almost production metrics. Look how many we issued. Look how many impressions these press release got. Uh, we do a weekly roundup. Like here's all the emails where we mentioned stuff. Like there's a lot of CYA type activity going on. Yeah. How much of that is valuable versus what metric should I just not care about at all? So this is a philosophical difference that I have with a lot of my peers. My agency is focused on outcomes, not outputs. Full stop. Now, having said that, we need to put some of those outputs in place because there are people who don't care what my philosophy is. They want to see that some shit's being done, right? So cover your ass is exactly what it is generally. So the board likes, the board likes to see metrics and they like to see volume of metrics. Even if those metrics aren't necessarily driving the needle, I mean, moving the needle rather, or driving revenue, they just want to see that a bunch of activities occurring. So I think it's inescapably true that you're going to have to do some of those those metrics. I think there are some meaningful ones though, that aren't just fluff and nonsense, like share of voice, for example, I think is a really nice one where you're looking at the competitive landscape and determining what share of voice you're getting against your competitors, you know, quarterly. I think that's good to know. Like, are we getting that momentum? Are we building that heat and light around the, the brand? And then positive neutral coverage um, and, and negative. That's a good way too. like, yes, we're getting written about a lot, but it's really not that great. We're kind of like getting stacked low and like, how do we change that around? So we're spoken about more favorably. I think that's a really good metric as well. And I think the most meaningful one is the one that almost no one is willing to track, which is that dark social stuff and dark, um, dark PR, dark marketing, which is that open field thing again, that we talked about earlier, yeah. you know, that's a pretty good metric. If we're seeing that we're getting people from podcasts, we're getting people from LinkedIn and we are getting people from you know, X, Y, and Z, that is pretty compelling data to throw into a presentation. 
in, against the backdrop of the metrics that people have come to kind of expect. But there's some nonsense uh, tomfoolery out there to throw a couple of <laughs> like ad value equivalency. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. There's agencies that swear by this one today, which is if an advertisement were to appear in like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or Computer World. Oh, I know exactly what you're what, saying. What would a similar article that was written about you in that same space be worth? And it's just a nonsense comparative. It's apples and orangutans. I mean, it, it makes, <laughs> it makes no, no, no sense whatsoever. But there are people who swear by that as a way to show our, at least I can show a concrete dollar amount. And it just doesn't work that way. Oh, my God. All right. Last question is going back to what you said at the start. You mentioned Salesforce. You mentioned Benioff mm -hmm. and how they had caught on to something that other people hadn't. Looking at it through the PR lens, because nobody doubts that Salesforce does good marketing. Yep. What did they do right from a PR point of view? Well, they had the uh, unique opportunity to have Mr. Benioff, who during those days, so we competed directly head to head with Upshot. I mean, with, uh, with Salesforce. He said back in those days, he devoted fully 60% of his time to marketing and PR. Okay. So that's point one. There's not a whole lot of leaders that are out there putting in that kind of time to, to, you know, spread the gospel. The other thing that he would do, which was unique, and, and I, I would, would love to see more uh, leaders do this, is he built personal relationships with the reporters himself. So for example, if he were, was interviewed by somebody from, you know, Wall Street Journal, Computer World, whatever it is, fast company, he would ask details about that reporter's family, life, children, and he'd find out what baseball team they liked, what, you know, all these sort of details. And he would take meticulous notes or the PR team would. So that the next time they spoke, before we got into the reason why we're here today, how's, uh, how's Danny doing with the cops? You know, whatever it was. And that was a relationship builder that, that transcended the PR relationship so much so that they didn't even need the PR agency really after a while because the reporters would just go to Mr. Benioff and, and vice versa. So you're essentially working your way out of a job if you do your, if you do your job well at that level. And so that's a big d distinctive difference between, I think, the you know, 99% of companies out there and what Benioff did, which was truly special. That's fascinating. It's almost like when you have empathy for the people on the other side of the aisle. Almost. It's almost <laughs> like that. Almost like that applies to virtually every part of marketing right now. Yes. <laughs> well, I think this is a fantastic place to leave it. This has been a wonderful conversation. I am immensely smarter about PR than I was at the start of this call. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity and I'm glad you thought it was, uh, it was valuable. And I, I apologize for some of the, um, the swears that I dropped in my little, my little. Nothing wrong with a bit of passion. People <laughs> who feel strongly, that's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> what a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye.